Hello and welcome to What Is It About the Weather, where weather is always the theme, but the weather is not our topic. This week we're going to be talking about weather and pain. Now, we've done psychology before, so we're going to delve more into the physical side of things. So really, can you know weather be responsible for headaches, maybe how your joints feel? We're going to dive into that a little deeper this time around, but let me just say, I, I hope that uh, wherever you are, since we last talked, that you're having enjoyable and interesting weather, and maybe you've learned a new way in which weather is intertwined into different aspects of your life. I hope so. That's that's what we try to talk about here, and you know, it's just a stepping board into thinking about things maybe a little different way than you have in the past. I know in the weather enterprise, and you may have even seen it in some of my tweets, probably the biggest story last week or so has to be the new Gozar satellite. Now, some people see it written and they see Gozer. No, this is in no way associated with Ghostbusters. But this new satellite that is on its way to orbit, and that's one of the interesting things, right? This takes a while for it even to get into its final orbit position. But this is a latest in a series of satellites that have been launched over, I don't know, it's not quite 50 years, but we're probably getting pretty close to that number, 45-ish, since the first one went up. I'd have to do my math. I'm not going to do that right now. But you've heard me talk about before how critical data is to what we do, and this satellite is going to open up a whole new realm of data that we've just not had access to before and do it in a timely manner. So we're going to have, you know, you think about all the advances we've had in how we communicate from, you know, cell phones to, you know, Wi-Fi networks and all that stuff. Well, satellites and communication with satellites is also involved. And that evolution is now going to allow that data to get to us. Not only is it going to be more data, and more information about the situation at hand, but it's going to get to us in a closer to real-time fashion, which will, you know, all these things kind of come together and continue to advance how we can better forecast weather, both in real-time, how we can get more data to enhance our weather models, etc. So it really is, it was it was kind of a geeky moment for, for most of any weather weenies you might know out there. Um, Got to turn on, I guess it was last Saturday, turn on the NASA channel and just sit there and watch a, a, a rocket launch, but in a different way. So kind of a big day, kind of a big day in the in, in the weather enterprise. But, you know, just keep an eye out. You, you won't see it for a while, um, probably six to nine months before and, and even up to a year based on, on the official timelines of when that data will be making its way into our real-time weather lives. But in the meantime, you'll see some tests, different things, and again, probably see some weather weeniness out there with uh, maybe some images of a tropical cyclone or stuff that are that are near real-time. So good stuff coming, good stuff coming. All right, time to dive into the main story. Is there really a connection between weather and physical pain? And it was really relevant for me this past week. I woke up and had a headache for some reason and couldn't quite figure out why. And I was looking at the weather and noticed that Georgia was in a strikingly dry weather pattern for that day. And I thought to myself, huh, I wonder if, you know, the change in humidity is having an impact. Now, you know, we, we think about it a lot. I mean... Look at a concept like a humidifier. You might run a humidifier in your house in the wintertime. Now, part of that has been born out of the fact that when you have controlled air, whether it's air conditioning or heating, so when you heat it up, you tend to 
remove moisture from the environment that might naturally be there. So even though the air holds less moisture in the wintertime, and you know that's just one of those things, the colder air can't hold as much. Even So relative humidity is exactly that. That's why it's called that way. So relative humidity in you know, when it's freezing outside versus when a really hot day, it still might feel different because of the actual level of moisture that's in the atmosphere. But you, know, you, you might run a humidifier inside your house in the wintertime, and a lot of people do this to introduce moisture back into the environment. Some people even, you know, keep a, a pot of boiling water on the stove. And there's long been, you know, belief that there's connections like, you know, people might say they have drier skin in the wintertime, or maybe your nose dries out or throat dries out, and you want to keep that moisturized. And there's no doubt that adding humidity to the air, you know, makes it feel more moist. You know, the real question is, how does our body respond to those things? And specifically with, with respect to pain, this is not a, you know, it's not a new thing. So Hippocrates, it, it's funny, all the research that I read in this, they all go back to this this document that he wrote called On Airs, Waters, and Places. Now, for those of you who don't quite make the connection initially, so um, the Hippocratic Oath is from this person, right? There, there's some question whether he wrote it or not, but it's the basis of his extensive work. You know, the Hippocratic Oath is one of the key tenets is do no harm, and that's, you know, doctors are supposed to do no harm, at least medical doctors. Scientific ones out there, you know, Dr. Frankenstein. Well, I guess no, I don't know that he would have been an accredited Crete medical doctor. Any case, so the concepts of discussing the connection of weather and pain date back to this document. Although I must say, this document, it's very loose how much connection there really is or conversation there is. The name is not a fair representation. The, the focus is more on, you know, how diseases. Um, are transmitted, you know, bodies of water. Not so much about how weather makes us feel, per se. So, a little bit of loosely in there, but people, like I said, all the research quotes it. Over so many years, over 2,000 years ago, he was this great, blah, blah, blah. Any case, whether that's real or not, there's, you know, you'll hear sayings, we've talked about it before, under the weather. You know, it's more of a relationship of how you feel than it is um, specifically about weather conditions per se, but it, it's trying to make that connection between the meteorological world or the weather world around us and how we feel. You may also have a relative who's told you, I can tell you when a storm's coming based on how my knee feels. So, you know, there's a lot of people that anecdotally make that connection, again, whether it's real or not. But all this has driven quite a fair amount of research. So, Let's talk about the science for a moment. I think that in in looking into this topic, probably the most common area in which it's been explored has been the connection between arthritis and pain. Okay, so those that aren't familiar with the concept of arthritis, just know that it's a painful, for a lot of people, a painful condition that generally impacts joints and how you you know, it may impact mobility, the ease of getting around, but a lot of it just has to do with how painful it is to do what some people consider easy task, right? The other area that's had a fair amount of research has been related to headaches, but specifically migraine headaches. And a lot of this has to do with, there's a lot of sensitivities that people have with 
migraines, we don't fully understand what causes them. You know, a lot of times with with different pains and things we deal with, and even with with medicine in general. You know, if you ever want to really get uh, get baffled a little bit, go. You know, you go and look about things about drugs, whether it's an, as simple as an aspirin, which has been around for ages, right? And our understanding of what it actually does is kind of constantly evolving. But a lot of even basic drugs, if you go look at uh, a description, you know, not just popular summary sort of thing, but a description about what it does and how it works, all of its hypothesis, a lot of it is just not proven. So it's it's just a reminder of how little we actually know in some regards about the human body. So even sometimes when we find a benefit and we think we know what it does, we don't always know. So kind of a tricky piece there. So again, arthritis, headaches. And if you think about the concepts there, it makes a lot of sense. So there's probably three things, um, migraines through and a fourth, that, that have to do with what's going on here. So common ones, temperature and atmospheric pressure. The other two ancillary ones are humidity, you know, which I've mentioned before, and the amount of light. And this that one has more to do with headaches because people with migraines quite often, not always, are sensitive to strong light. So it could be that cloudy versus sunny days have, have something to go on there. Again, that that's the sensitivity. The ancillary connection there is then that becomes pain sort of thing. But if we were looking at the direct connections, the, the two primary ones are atmospheric pressure, and temperature. Now, anybody who's ever had any sort of injury and has dealt with it before knows that sometimes ice or cold on an injury, maybe it reduces swelling so it makes it feel better that way, but sometimes heat feels good if, you, if you've ever had back pain or even a sore throat. I, I use that as a, an example that I think most people can relate to. Almost all of us have had a sore throat sometime in our life. And sometimes drinking cold fluids when you have a sore throat feels good. And that's usually because it's reducing the inflammation. Or again, that's conceptually what's going on. But sometimes warm fluids feel good. And so it's got more of that soothing sensation. So you can imagine either side, and this is always part of the struggle with this, is in some ways warmer might be better for a certain aspect of an ailment whereas cold might be better in some other ways. The temperature then progresses to pressure, and it's kind of the same sort of thing. So anybody, if you've ever known somebody who has to use compression socks or something where they have to keep things, a certain amount of pressure on something, or you've even dealt with something that sometimes putting pressure on it makes it feel better. Sometimes not putting pressure on it makes it feel better. So it's the same thing when you, like, let's take arthritis for an example. And it's a lot believed about how the joint, you know, what's going on in the joint. But as our understanding has grown and we begin to appreciate how fluids in the body be, act differently and might be the triggers for arthritis pain or arthritic-driven pain. And so when we consider that, right, the question is, would more pressure, so it may be, keeps the fluid from moving as much be helpful, although that might create pressure on the joint. And then the flip side of that might be lower pressure allows maybe better range of motion 
but it allows these fluids in our body that then get into areas that they might not normally get into to cause pain. So you can imagine that there's kind of flip sides of looking at it. And, and this is part of the challenge, I think, you know, with all the research that we're going to talk about in a moment, um, that there's two ways to look at the same thing. And what may be, as, as the old saying goes, what's good for the, the goose is not good for the gander sort of thing. So we've got those struggles of identifying what's really at the source, right? So this is kind of a secondary connection. You know, understanding what's causing the pain might help us understand how these different things work. And, and then on top of all this, we get into levels of sensitivity. And you've heard me discuss it before. For instance, even when I was talking about the episode with fish and about the challenges of atmospheric pressure versus the, just pressure changes that they deal with in the water and, and the magnitude. And I think that's relevant here, although you can imagine if we live generally on Earth, we can, we can envision that changes in pressure m- may have that impact. But you could also equate it to um, maybe a fly that lands on you. There's lots of lots of places that an insect landing on your body you would never feel, but you may have a couple of areas where your skin is particularly sensitive that you may notice, you know, that insect landing on you and swat it away or whatever it is. So there's also that element of it, which is are our bodies even sensitive enough sensitive enough to feel these changes or what magnitude do they have to change in for that sensation to be meaningful enough. All these add a lot of complexities, right? So kind of what's going on here, some of the thoughts and processes going on. So I looked at a a great deal of papers and research on the topics. Uh, I even found a new journal. So anybody that has an interest in, in, uh, Meteorology and in, in ways it's connected. There's a, a new one I found called Biometeorology, and I had not run across it before, but it is kind of one of more of those applied aspects of it. It's not all medical. It can just be anything in the, the biology-oriented world, and it talks about the connections between you know, essentially weather and the world. So it's kind of an underscore of what we talk about, you know, fundamentally here. So just keep that out there. I'll put a link in the show notes. Again, it's more a peer-reviewed journal may not be the easiest read in the world, and not everybody's going to have access to it, but something kind of neat anyways. So what what did we, all these papers I found, I'm going to put only one or two in the show notes because I really did go through an extensive amount because this this was a topic that was new to me. So I really had to get kind of a... uh, mini-education, as it will. The findings are, yes, there's a connection between weather and pain, and no, there's not a connection between weather and pain. And I, you know, it, it was really kind of wild in reading each one of them. Like I said, they were concentrated in dealing with the connection between particularly arthritis um, and or other types of chronic pain. And like I said, headaches, but specifically migraine headaches. Now, in digging through all that stuff, like I said, one study would show there was a connection. The next would show, no, there's no proof of connection. There's even been some great reviews of the literature, and that that's kind of one of those things that is useful for us folks who understand a little bit of science but don't have time to read every paper where a group of people that are you know skilled in the field will do a, essentially a review of the literature, and they talk about, they try to summarize the different findings. And what was, again, interesting here is 
didn't always point to the same Anderson, but I will, will say that the reviews generally pointed to, at least from a, a scientifically researched perspective, there does not seem to be a connection between weather and pain. Now, on the flip side of that, it doesn't mean that there's not necessarily one. And I think most people who you know, have dealt with pain may say, well, that's just crazy. I know it does. It, you know, I can tell every time it's going to rain, it, it's this way. And that may be true. And I think this highlights one of the challenges in, in research in general is maybe it's just not that simple. You know, maybe not everybody's the same. And I think you see that. And in, in, as we're learning more about medicine, we start to realize that the complexities of a human body make it such that not everybody responds to the same drug the same way, hence side effects and, and different things. So it could very well be that certain people have this sort of connection to weather, you know, and others don't. That that could very well be a reality, but that can be kind of tricky to bear out in in research. So, you know, why why would the research be some yes, some no. We you know we alluded to it just now that some people are different. So we we humans kind of make a mess of the things, right? So, so not only might it be our physiological structure that does it, but even the way we think about things, the way we perceive the pain related to you know the weather events that are going outside, our recollections. You you know so often we're driven by strong events in our past, strong connections. So if you had a horrible heart, like your worst headache ever on a, on a day that was particularly, it, it was a rainy day, or it was maybe it was a really dry day, like I had this past week. I may then create a natural bias in my head that's got no sounding whatsoever conceptually in what's really going on. But then I'm going to go, okay. It's a really dry day again. Oh, I hope I don't get a headache. And then the next thing you know, you've got a headache. And this gets into the, you know, is it physical versus mental? You know, are we do we have some sort of psychosomatic relationship going on here that we actually create this ongoing thing? All right. So we get into that. We 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 get in the fact that humans aren't always objective, right? But throwing the complexities of every person's not the same and it makes it challenging. All these make it challenging for the research to bear out probably a consistent result. So what one doctor or a group of doctors may have found with their research may bear out that that's not consistent across all things. And it just highlights the complexity of multiple scientific disciplines and the interrelations that go on. Now, we humans aren't completely at fault here, despite the fact that we may find things to be a certain way, that, you know, even objectivity is relative. So, I mean, the way we think about certain things, even even when we're trying to be objective, may be related to how our sensory things evolve. And that can be true even when we're not doing, right, the objectivity. But I'll, I'll give you an example that has nothing to do with humans. If you go out and you look at different what I call personal weather stations, acronym PWS, and I've done a little, you know, clip on those in the past, and I showed some of the different varieties. So I've got this neat little watch that has a temperature sensor in it, and then I've got a more advanced weather station, and then there's this whole spectrum in between and even beyond, you know, what I have, and they're all theoretically, objectively measuring something, but the level of sensitivity in that 
instrument that's measuring impacts its objectivity. So not all things, whether it's a human or a scientific instrument, has the same level of objectivity. All right. So you take the fact that it's hard to be objective, even in the sciences sometimes. You take this interdisciplinary research, okay, and then you add to that at end of day, and I think this is one of the complications and maybe why we haven't seen more research on it or more definitive research is somebody's going to say it what the you know what's the point is this is a change in weather going to make it where i live or not probably not but it could impact quality of life and i think that's where the focus of research has been and i i will say one of the interesting findings that came out of all this is they found, you know, a lot of people have, let's say here in the U.S., have migrated from northern colder states, or at least do for part of the year, to Florida where it's warmer. And, you know, but people have migrated to southwestern part of the U.S., less humidity, it's a warmer climate. And part of the reasoning behind that is they may be dealing with a health, health condition. An interesting kind of sub-finding in all this is that may not matter. Okay, we tend to find that we have these same things wherever we go based even on the subtle changes in that environment. So, you know, basically what they're saying is if you tend to show a sensitivity to it, you're going to show that sensitivity even if you relocate. So I, I guess, you know, something to keep in mind with all that. So. You know, fundamentally, it's a hard thing. And, and I think that's the challenge here is. Given the unique nature of the human body, even one person, and how different we all are, it could be that some of us are sensitive and some of us are others. And the challenge with bearing that out in the research is particularly difficult. So, you know, the fundamental answer is it depends, right? Some research tends to show what others doesn't. My, my answer would be if you're looking at it purely from a scientific standpoint, there's no obvious connection, and I put the word obvious in there because there still does seem to be this anecdotal evidence uh, that some people swear by. However, I think if we want to ever prove this, the research is going to have to change. Uh, medical trials quite often involve fewer people, and typically they involve people with a certain condition. Like if you're trying to test a medication and determine if it can help with curing a disease— you've got a subset of people that suffer from that. Now, you could argue that that they're doing a study on people that have arthritis and they're trying to gauge that. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that group of people is representative of the larger population and the sub-factors that go into whether an individual may be sensitive to the weather or not. So, I, you know, it's probably going to involve some, some different things. And to that end, there was a very interesting study I came about or came across, excuse me, that they're doing in the UK. So we can't participate, for those of us who are not in the UK, like me, or a great deal of the world. But it's it's interesting. They're using kind of a cool concept. They're using phones, right? So everybody's now carrying these phones around to gather the weather data. So you don't report on it. And that's one of the challenges, right, is that people are reporting on the weather conditions. And, and some of the research has done a good job with this of saying, okay, I'm we, we aren't asking people to report on pain, but we'll, we'll get it from the weather data. Well, as I've told you with the de- weather day before, it may not have enough minutia in it to describe what's going on where that individual is located. But now this is a step in the right direction. The phone 
will register the weather data that's going on, and then all the people have to do is report on how they're feeling themselves. Now, we get into the same thing. Everybody's scale is subjective, and you've got to try to relate those anytime. And this is always one of the challenge with any study that involves us humans is trying to make that as subjective as possible. But that aside, it's a really cool project, and they've got the, – the neat thing is, is they're covering people for a long period of time. They're having the phones – pull out the stuff that they need to be really as objective as possible and not make the connection, and just having people report their pain. It's really kind of a neat thing, and hopefully it bears some results. One of the other aspects of it I really like is people are allowed to even put forward a hypothesis, so they're involving the people in the research, right? It's really kind of cool. So check the show notes if you want to look at that. It, it is one of those things that if, in all this, if, if you find the topic interesting, yeah, check it out. It's worth, worth your time. And the last thing I would say, you know, and I alluded to this, is I think where we stand right now, there's not enough information that would suggest to people try to change your environment. You know, don't pick up and move somewhere unless, you know, and, and you may have an obvious case. If you're a person that has migraines and you find light to be particularly bad, well, one, you could just not go outside, but you may really do better in an environment that has fewer bright, sunny days, you know. But I would say, generally speaking, that may or may not really be the answer. So picking up and moving places based on, uh, changes of weather climate, that's what you know. we're showing after the fact may not be the right answer. Now, if you like it to just be warmer, well, that's a good reason to move. But the reality is it may not solve that, a weather-related condition that you're trying to get away from. So just keep that in mind. Always something to keep in mind. You know, last time I realized when I, when I got to the end of the main segment, I forgot to give you the interesting tidbit. And given that I've been talking about dry weather, did you know that the driest place on earth, I, you know, I always like, people always ask me, you know, I lived in Chile and I'm able to say the driest desert in the world is in, in northern Chile and have been there. It's really kind of a neat place, but that's really not the driest place on the earth. Well, at least we don't think it is. We actually think the driest place on the earth is in Antarctica because there's an area where Certain conditions are set up that cause a, a type of wind, and I've, I've alluded to this and discussed it briefly in past episodes, called catabatic winds. And these have to do with, and it gets in the gravity wave clouds, things that I've, I've talked about, get into winds that are driven by a physical gravity response that keep moisture from getting into this area. And so it's believed, now whether this is true or not, kind of tough to tell because we haven't been measuring that long, there's been no meaningful precipitation in this area for two million years. Now, I'll leave that out there as to whether I think that that can be accurately measured or not. But it's an intriguing concept, and it's certainly a, a very dry place. It's called the Dry Valleys of Antarctica, if you want to look into it. So, all right. Time to time to wrap up. For those in the U.S., you know, I'm recording this on what's called Black Friday. You know, I really wish they'd rename it. It's not Black Friday. It might be Chaos Friday. It might be Good Deal Friday, but you know, that kind of ominous cloud. I don't, I don't like to throw that on there. Um, I hope you're enjoying, you know, the holiday season. For those around the globe, uh, whatever might be going on this time of year, I know we're wrapping up and we're getting in nearing the final month of the year. I just hope your your season's going well and that the weather around you is is keeping your life interesting but not stressed, let's say. So, how to get hold of us. You know the deal. What is it about the weather at gmail.com? If you want to just say anything, 
you know, whatever it might be. Pl- trust me, I get plenty of spam that tells me how they're going to make me money, um, design websites for me, uh, talk about all sorts of things that I don't talk about. So it's always good to get feedback and, and, and responses from folks that are that are normal and real as well. Uh, the website, whatisitabouttheweather.com. You can find all the information there related to supporting us, following us. You've heard me mention RSVP with respect to to the support aspect, whether that's rate, sharing, validating, pledging. So that's always there. I will mention I just did another episode. I just want to do a YouTube moment here. So as you know, as we shifted away from the video part of the podcast you know, being intertwined, there is stuff still going on YouTube. One of the things that I'm doing is I'm backloading the audio catalog because I, I still have had requests to make that information available on YouTube. So I am putting it out there. So any of you that subscribe to YouTube already, you may notice that. You can skip the things that just look like a, another episode because you're caught up to date. And it's going to be a while before I get that thing backloaded to where it becomes real time. But I'm, I'm trying to do it in steps. But the other aspect is the what is it about cloud? And I will put a link in the show notes specifically to this playlist, but just did the fourth episode of what is it about clouds. I talked about what I call paintbrush clouds, which is cirrus vibratus. And, you know, again, all these clips are only one minute. So if you ever need something to, to do one minute at your time, subscribe to the YouTube page and you can keep up to date with, with those things there. Um, again, just know that more material is going there. The cloud series is only there, but Hopefully, you know, it's just more passing moment. I know some people prefer the YouTube environment, so I am just trying to to make that available. So until next time, until next time, may you have interesting and intertwined weather, but intertwined in a hopefully a curious way, in a positive way, so you can, like me, know that there's much more to weather than the weather itself. We're tired of hearing our uncle grovel, so please support him on patreon.com slash weather. This is a two-word super production.